verses 1 through 4. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, forasmuch as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do come to you tonight just thanking you for this opportunity to be in your house on this Wednesday evening. We're thankful for those that were able to make it. We pray for those that... Uh, we're not able to for sickness and other things, Lord, and just pray that you pour your healing hand upon them. We pray for all the requests that were mentioned tonight. Uh, Lord, just uh, many different things, people that are, again, sick and ill, facing surgeries, facing treatments, and um, those that have lost loved ones. And uh, we just pray for your power and your mercy upon those, your healing upon those, again, that are sick. And, um, <clears throat> Lord, we pray that you'll deal spiritually with those that may have uh, fallen away from you. Uh, Lord, we, we know that uh, you can use many things, Lord, and many different things to draw us back to you. And um, I, I think it's specifically about the Lex. And uh, just pray that you give them strength at this time, but also pray, Lord, that you will use this to deal with their hearts. And uh, Lord, we pray for our pastor this evening as he is uh, preaching for Bryan Station Baptist Church. I pray that you'll pour out a special blessing upon uh, their meeting there and uh, give our pastor uh, freedom in, in his preaching. Lord, lead and guide him. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, they'll see great things happen in that meeting in their church. And um, Lord, I pray that you will do the same for me tonight, that you will help me, that you will use me tonight, Lord. And that this message will uh, speak to our hearts and uh, give us what we need to hear tonight. And I just pray that you use it to deal with our hearts. And uh, we pray for uh, the other classes going on. We pray that uh, you help those that are teaching to make the gospel clear. Pray that you open the hearts of um, the children that are there and those that may still be lost. And I pray that you show them their, their need of a Savior. We just pray that you move in our services tonight. And uh, Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So Daniel chapter 6, it's a, it's a portion of Scripture that I would say all of us here are pretty familiar with. I mean, Daniel chapter 6 gets into uh, the account of Daniel in the lion's den. That's a story that we often share with our children, you know, along with uh, David and Goliath, Jonah and the whale, and Noah's ark. It's something that really shows in a great way God's delivering power, right? And how God will watch over us when we decide to take a stand and, and how God can have power and does have power over his own creation. But tonight, I, I, I don't really want to get into the lion's den portion of this chapter. Uh, we're going to focus on these first four verses where it talks about what led up to the lion's den for Daniel. And so what we start out with here is we find out that Daniel was preferred. 
You see, King Darius, uh, 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 he was a new king, and he had set up over his kingdom 120 princes that would rule. But over those 120 princes, there would be three presidents that they would report to and answer to. And we find out that Daniel, out of those three presidents, was the preferred one. He was essentially second in command. And in fact, it does say that the king um, sought to set him over the whole realm. So the king really had this great relationship with Daniel. And he saw that Daniel was a man that was, you know, really being used of God. You know, it reminds me of of the story of Joseph and how Joseph became the second in command over all of Egypt, you know, because of how God had used him. And, And so here he is, he's over these three presidents and then over these 120 princes. And what we find here is that these men, well, they weren't too happy about this arrangement. You know, when I read about these princes and presidents, it just makes me think of our modern-day politicians, right? These are people that will stop at nothing to gain power and influence or to protect the power and influence that they already have. And so these people, they didn't like the fact that Daniel was preferred above all of them. I mean, in a way, you can kind of see it because, you know, Daniel... He was an outsider, right? He wasn't a part of this kingdom. He wasn't a part of the Medes or the Persians or Babylon, any of that. Matter of fact, not only was he an outsider, but he was actually one of the captives, the captives of Judah. And here he was elevated to such a great position over all the other politicians and people in power. And I'm sure that that didn't sit right with those people. And then not only that, but, you know, spiritually he was an outsider. You know, this was a pagan land. And here uh, Daniel was, he was a, a Jew, he, he, you know, followed the God of Israel, and we know he was very open about his faith and his prayer and all the things that he did. So I'm sure, again, just another thing that didn't sit right with these people, and so they sought to get him removed from his position. And you could see the, the very first uh, step in the playbook, and again, as you read about what they're doing, you can make comparisons to, you know, the things that are happening today in the political realm. See, first thing they sought to do was to find dirt on Daniel. They sought to find some skeletons in his closet that might, you know, if brought to light, might bring him down a few notches, might make the king not quite like him so much and think that he should be over the whole realm. And so that's what they sought to do. And it says that in verse 4, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But what do we find here? They didn't have any luck finding anything. Now, we're not here to say that Daniel was a perfect man, because he wasn't a perfect man at all. None of us are. We all have our faults. He had his faults. He had his sins. You know, he failed God just like we all do. But the key is here, they didn't find any dirt, any skeletons in his closet that were big enough to cause any type of stir, you know, to possibly uh, bring him down from his position. And so it says, but they could find none occasion nor fault 
For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Again, not that he didn't have any faults or any errors, but there was nothing big enough that they could use. And, you know, what I can think of, and, and, and I think as usual, the second step of the playbook in, in modern day politics is if you can't find dirt, then make it up, right? And boy, have we not seen that recently? I mean, if I use the term collusion or steel dossier, does that make you think of where I'm going here? You know, I'm not going to say it, but we're all thinking it, you know, but <clears throat> politicians aren't afraid to make things up, right? But what we see here is that that step never even comes to light. And so I started thinking about that. And again, this is kind of my own thoughts here. But, you know, what would stop a politician from making up dirt on an adversary or an enemy? Well, they already were unable to find any type of dirt on him. And so I think what they knew already about Daniel is that and, and, and that step proved it when they couldn't find anything because I'm sure they used every resource, <laughs> every tool that they had available to dig deep into Daniel's comings and goings to see what they could find. And they didn't find anything. But they knew that Daniel was indeed a man of character and of integrity, a man of spirituality, a, a man that was following after is God. And the thing is, lies don't work if the people that you're lying about, if, if other folks don't believe those lies. And if people were so aware of Daniel, because again, he didn't hide his faith. He didn't try to put it on the back burner. Everyone knew who Daniel was, and, and he was a very prominent figure in the kingdom. You know, second behind the king. Everybody knew Daniel. And so my feeling is here that they didn't try to fabricate their own dirt because they knew nothing would stick, right? Nothing would uh, be believable to the king nor to the rest of the people. And so they just totally threw that step out of their playbook. It didn't even go that direction. And that says a lot, I think, about Daniel as a person. But what they settled on was the one thing that they knew they could get Daniel on, and that was to attack what he would be faithful in doing, and that was going against something that was of God, of his God. <clears throat> Finding something that would go against the law of God. And that's what it says in, in verse 5. It says, Then said these men, and so they could find no error or fault in him, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. <clears throat> and so they came up with this plan. And they approached the king about a certain decree. And this decree um, is found in, uh, we'll start reading in verse 6 here. Then the presidents and the princes assembled together to the king. And said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. Oh, they're buttering him up for something. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever, whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast 
into the den of lions. So we have this decree that they come before uh, the king to give. And first of all, you know, just because they didn't make up any dirt on Daniel doesn't mean that they totally threw lying away because they lied here when they approached the king. They said they talked to all the princes, the presidents, the governors, the counselors, the captains, and they've consulted together and come up with this decree. Well, we have no indication in God's word here that these certain people met with anyone else. So we, we, we can't back up that they actually met with the counselors and the captains and the governors and all those things. But one thing we do know for sure, they certainly didn't talk about it with Daniel. And he was chief, right? He was a chief of all of them. They didn't talk to him. They, they kind of left that little bit out, that they didn't talk to Daniel and get his thoughts on this. And so the king, you know, thinking, hey, everybody talked about this. This is what they want to do. This is, you know, I'm sure this was um, <clears throat> really going towards, you know, kind of pushing him up and, you know, kind of making him uh, sort of a, a small god. Say, hey, nobody can make a petition of any god or any man except for you, king, for 30 days. And then it was the lion's den for anybody who disobeyed. Now, there's a couple of interesting things about this decree. The first one being that they only asked for 30 days. And I thought that was kind of strange, you know, when I uh, read that the, the first couple of times and as I was studying this out, why just 30 days? You know, if you're trying to trap somebody, change it completely. You know, you can't ever do this. And then that person really has a decision to make, you know. Um, they can't just not do something for 30 days, and then, you know, uh, like in this case, well, you can start praying again on day 31, you know. But they didn't do that. They asked for 30 days. The other thing that was interesting on this, and I didn't see that till actually today as I was studying through this some more, is that the decree had to do with asking a petition. Now, when you look up petition and what that means in the concordance, it does mean prayer, but it also can mean a request. And to me, that definition of request kind of fits more in with this decree because it's, it not only says a petition of any God, but it also says of any man, right? So you wouldn't be praying to a man, right, for the most part. I mean, these people, they were pagans, but they still had their own gods that they prayed to. So you wouldn't be praying to a man. So what this decree was essentially doing is saying, you can't go to anyone, whether it's God or to your neighbor, to your mother, your father, and ask for anything. The only person you can go to and ask for anything would be the king. Now, funny thing is about that decree, that affects everybody, right? That's not just geared towards Daniel. I mean, it's even going to affect them. You know, this is something, I mean, like I said, these people were pagans, but they, they had their own gods. This means that even they couldn't pray to their gods. Even they couldn't ask their family or neighbor or one of the other princes or presidents for anything. But that's the, the length they were willing to go to. Because I think if, if they had tried to really make this decree centered upon Daniel, I think the king would have known that and would have discerned 
that, hey, they're really just trying to get Daniel. That's all they're doing. If the, if the decree was about, you know, you can't pray to the God of Israel, you know. I mean, he really liked Daniel. And so I think, you know, they, they had to do that in order to get Daniel because the king would have discerned otherwise, that it was a specific decree for him to try to uh, kill him. And so they, they made this weird decree. So there's a couple of interesting things I thought about this decree. <clears throat> but for point number two, we see that Daniel, he was preferred, but now Daniel is also persistent. <clears throat> the king signs the decree. And it is the way of the Medes and the Persians that once the king signs a decree that no one can change it, not even the king himself. <clears throat> but it's signed. And then Daniel gets the news. He finds out about this decree. And I don't know about you, but if it was me, I think I would immediately went to King Darius and say, hey, Darius, what's up with this? What's going on? I mean, I, you know, you get the feeling that they were probably pretty close. And again, the, the King Darius really liked Daniel. <clears throat> Matter of fact, if, if you read on and you see that when, you know, Daniel continues to, to pray, I mean, we all know this. It's not anything new. I'm not bringing that up and shocking everybody. But Daniel continued to pray and those same presidents and princes saw it. And then they went before the king and said, hey, this is what happened. And this is what you said is going to happen when somebody breaks that decree. Well, guess what King Darius did? He, he ran around for a while trying to find a way to get out of this decree because he really liked Daniel. <clears throat> so if I was Daniel, I think I would have made a beeline straight for King Darius to see what could be done. But Daniel didn't do that. Daniel heard about the decree, and he went on. Now, here's the thing. Now, we talked about... One of the odd things being that this decree only lasted for 30 days. <clears throat> well, Daniel had some options, right? So if you're faced with a decree that you can't ask a petition of your God for 30 days, well, naturally, the, probably the first option you can think of is, well, maybe I just won't pray for 30 days. The Lord will understand. I don't want to end up in the lion's den. Nobody wants, who, who here wants to end up in the lion's den? I thought that was a pretty safe question. No one would uh, answer yes to that. Raise your hand. No one wants to end up in a lion's den. I don't want to end up face-to-face -face with a lion or two or three. And so the first thought is, uh, you know, I could just stop praying for 30 days. On day 31, God, I'm right back in there. I'll be praying to you on day 31. You know, that's the first thing you could have done. The second thing, which goes into the other interesting thing I thought about this decree is, you know, our prayers don't always have to be about making petitions to God. You know, prayer can simply be talking with the Lord. Prayer can be just a time of praising God, right? But how many times do our prayers always, you know, always at some point asking petitions of God, requests of God? I mean, we just literally went through our prayer requests. You know, <clears throat> and we try to pray for those and, and our own requests that we have. But he could conceivably still pray every day without once asking a petition. <clears throat> and, and why do I think that matters? Because when you go forward and you see that that time when the presidents and princes caught him praying, 
It says they saw him making prayer. They found him praying and making supplication. So it wasn't just the praying. It was the supplication part of it, which supplication means, kind of gives you the idea of to entreat or to show, to entreat to show favor or mercy. So he wasn't just praying. He was he was giving supplication, making supplication to God to, to show mercy, to, to give favor. Um, I'm sure not only to him, but to uh, any others that were captive to the, to the rest of God's people, bring mercy upon him. You know, I mean, he was in a situation <laughs> right now. So he continued to make supplication. He continued to make petition. But I, I think... You know, he could have continued to pray with the window open and all that stuff had he just not made a petition to God in that 30 days. I almost feel like he, he wouldn't have been against that decree, but it was that supplication that caused him to, you know, fall under the part of that decree. But then there's also option number three. He could have simply stopped his practice of praying with an, in front of the open window that was facing towards Jerusalem. I mean, look, if you go on to the New Testament, now obviously, this is Old Testament, Daniel. He didn't have the New Testament at that time. But we do, and if we look at Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 6, it says here, <clears throat> I'll give you a second to get over there if you are looking. <clears throat> Why are you doing that? I will take a drink. Appreciate Brother Green getting this water for me. Matthew 6, 6 says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father, to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So Daniel, in a sense, could have just found his prayer closet, right? Shut the window, go in the prayer closet, pray in secret. Technically speaking, if you go to Matthew, you wouldn't have been doing anything wrong. Continued his prayer. You know, and, and just continued on the way he was doing. And, you know, I don't know if those men would have ever found out what he did. But Daniel didn't do any of those things. And why is that? Well, I think it's a couple of reasons. Number one, he didn't want to change anything that he was doing previously for fear of the decree. He felt like if he changed anything that he was doing, that he was committing a sin. And the reason we can kind of think about that is because James 4, 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now even the way that Daniel was praying was not a command. That wasn't, he didn't have to open up his window towards Jerusalem and pray that way. In fact, that goes back to um, a prayer of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8, where Solomon talked about, you know, if, if the children of Israel are ever in captivity, that if they pray facing the city of God, Jerusalem, that God would hear their prayer, hear their supplications. So it wasn't a command. He didn't have to do that, but he was led to do that by God to pray in that manner. And he had done it every time before. So he wasn't going to change that because to him, that was good. 
And for him to know what to do good and do with it not, to him it is sin. So he was not going to commit the sin. And even if that was not the case, if his enemy stood without his house at that same window and noticed that now day after day that window was closed, then would they not think that they had gotten the victory over him? Even if he was in his prayer closet praying and not, you know, not really failing at all in that manner, they would think that he did you know, the opposite, that he stopped praying because of the fear of the decree. And he didn't want to give that impression to these men. So he continued to do that same practice three times a day, opening that same window, facing Jerusalem and praying. And not just praying, but giving supplication, making supplication to the Lord. And of course, we know the story. I don't have to rehash it. They find him. They take him before the king, and he ends up in the lion's den. But then we know the victory there. But my third point this evening, and it's really where I get the title of the message, is what occasion would they find against us? For the third point, would we be in a predicament? You see, what if our modern-day politicians, with all their power and abilities and, you know, uh, the way things are going, we, we, it may not take us too long to get to this point, but what if they were to look for occasion against us as Christians, against you personally, against me personally? If they did enough digging for some dirt, would they find something? Would they find something big enough that they could take before the church or before the public and say, hey, this Christian did this, and then it would ruin our testimony. That's what they were doing with Daniel. They used all their resources at hand to try to dig up dirt on him, to bring him down, to ruin his testimony. And brothers and sisters, that's what the lost are doing to us today. You know, anytime they see something that can bring you down a notch, a lot of them won't hesitate to bring it to your face and to others' attention to bring you down. Now, maybe you're in a position where they couldn't find, you know, dirt that's too bad to really cause any type of major ruckus, but maybe you have some people in your life that you are around sometimes that you really don't totally act like a Christian around, or, or you don't, you don't reveal your testimony to them. Maybe they don't know you as a Christian. Maybe they don't know you as a child of God. And so if somebody were to come along and maybe, I don't know, make up some dirt, like I, I, I read between the lines, I almost think that these men tried to do, you know, or would have done if they could have. But do you have some 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 friends, some people that... Uh, you are around sometimes that if, if somebody came and made up some dirt about you that they just might believe it because you, you don't really live like you should around them, maybe. You know, maybe not done anything too crazy, too bad, but, you know, again, maybe they don't know the, the Christian you and would be able to say, oh, I could see him doing that or her doing that. Hmm. They just believe it. 
Or would they only be able to attack us through our service to God like they did Daniel? I mean, I'm sure all of us hope that that's where we would be, that they would have to attack us with, you know, our service for God in order for us to uh, really be taken down like that. But now the good news is tonight, even if you're in that position where someone could find dirt on you, or could possibly make up something that some people might uh, believe, that it doesn't mean you're finished for the Lord. Let me ask you this. What dirt could be found against someone like David? Think about it for a second. That man has got so much dirt, you could probably, I don't know, uh, build a huge sand dune to go, uh, you know, get on your vehicle and go over and have a good time. You know, this guy's got a lot of dirt. <clears throat> Remember, and this is stuff after he was a saved man. Remember, 70,000 people died as a result of him numbering the people. This is just stuff after he was king, right? 70,000 people he was responsible for, directly responsible for killing from the plague. Remember when he numbered the people? After God told him not to, and then even his, uh, his commander there uh, said, uh, you know, he might not want to do that. God said not to do it, and he did it anyway. And then he was given those three options by the Lord of, of you know, what punishment, and he took the plague and 70,000 people. It's, it says men, so it might have been more than that. 70,000 men died. And then let's not forget, you know, Uriah the Hittite. You know, after he had an affair with Uriah's wife, that's bad. That's dirt enough, right? Had an affair with her. Then he had her husband killed. He was, he, he tried to, you know, hide his sin by bringing Uriah from the battlefield and, and trying to get him to lay with his wife. But he was such a, a, a soldier, such a determined soldier that, you know, he refused to lay with his wife when the rest of his, his uh, countrymen were out there fighting. And so David ended up essentially having him killed because he refused to lay with his wife after, you know, he had an affair with her and got her pregnant. And then the child that he and Bathsheba had together, that child ended up dying because of the sin. You could say that David was a failed father, right? I mean, there's some horrible things that happened in David's family beyond, you know, what we just talked about with Bathsheba and that child. You have incest and rebellion that happened within his family. You have three, of his, uh, three other of his sons that were killed as a result of this incest and rebellion. You know, Amnon, he's the one that had the incest with his sister. He was killed. Absalom, killed in rebellion to his father. And then Adonijah, killed in his rebellion towards Solomon after David died. I mean, you can look at that and, and dirt, failed father. Then you even, it doesn't even stop there. Then you have Uzzah. If you're a man with the first name that begins with a U, stay away from David. Uriah and Uzzah. Uzzah died just trying to stop the ark from falling. But why is that? Because David went against God's command and how the ark should be transported. And it caused Uzzah to lose his life in a moment. We're simply trying to stop the ark from falling. 
But it all goes back to David. Dirt, dirt, dirt on David. But yet the Bible still calls David a man after God's own heart. He's still viewed as one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. Why? Because he didn't stop. After he failed, he repented. And he continued on for the glory of God. And he did many great things. He's got a lot of dirt. He's got a lot of bad stuff. He's got a lot of skeletons in his claws. A lot of things I'm sure he, you know, wish everybody didn't know. But he's got even more victories for the kingdom of God. We'll do one more here. What about the great Abraham? You know, you really think about Abraham and, you know, off the top of your head, you really don't think about a whole lot of dirt for Abraham, but he's got some dirt too. You know, Genesis chapter 13, we all know Abraham is part of the hall of fame of faith because, you know, how he left the, uh, his, the land of his fathers and he went to a land that he didn't even know where he was going. He just went because the Lord told him to, to have, have faith. But then you know what? As soon as he got there, there was a bad famine in the land and he left. So you, you do, do this whole great faith trek and go into the land, the promised land, and you get there and it's not quite as good as you think. And so you leave and you run to the world. You run to Egypt. And not only that, but when he gets to Egypt, he was afraid for his life. And so he told his wife, Sarah, to say, hey, you're my sister which apparently wasn't a total lie. If you read on, he was, they were kind of a sister, but didn't have, I think it's, I think it was a, not the same father or mother or something like that. And, you know, back in those days, it wasn't quite the same kind of thing. But anyhow, so it wasn't a, maybe a total, total lie, but they didn't reveal that they were husband and wife, right? And so, you know, the Pharaoh took Sarah, to be his, going to be his, his woman. And, of course, it caused all these great plagues, again, to fall upon the house of Pharaoh. And then, you know, he's, he's the, the Lord kind of calls him and lets him know that, hey, this is, this is his wife. And then he rebukes Abraham for lying to him. And then you have the whole part about, you know, him agreeing to Sarah's plan Remember, to have a child by Hagar because God hadn't yet fulfilled his promise of having the child. You know, and they were getting even older and older in years, so they had this plan. Well, boy, that hasn't caused issues for the land of Israel uh, until now. All these thousands of years, um, that, that was a big one. And then as if he didn't learn his lesson from the first time, we find in Genesis chapter 20, he does the exact same thing. Um, as he did in Egypt, this time with King Abimelech. Again, scared for his life and lying and saying that Sarah, apparently Sarah, even as an older woman, was still quite a looker. Um, and so he, they both lied about them being husband and wife. And so King Abimelech took her to be a, his wife. And then again, the Lord shows up and says, don't, that's his wife. If you don't give her back, you're going you're gonna to get it, son. And so, you know, he goes back and he rebukes. Abraham was rebuked twice by pagan kings for lying. So Abraham's got some dirt. But yet we find, as I already mentioned, he's in the Hall of Fame of Faith, right? For his faith. Why is that? Because, yeah, he failed. Yeah, he had dirt. But he didn't stop. He didn't, it didn't cause him to give up. 
He repented and he moved forward. And the Lord greatly used him. And so our conclusion tonight, if you're in a place where the world could find aught against you or against myself, don't let that cause you to give up and stop going forward for the Lord. Just stop, repent, start serving again. And what we've seen time and time again in God's word, and that's one of the many things I love about God's word, God never shies away from telling us about his people's failures. So we know that even all those great people listed in Hebrews chapter 11, they failed. They had dirt. There might even be some people that could make up some stuff about them and people would believe it because they've done similar things in the past, you know? But yet God used them. God made great things happen through those people and he can do the same with us tonight. So if you have anything there, repent, turn away from it and continue on for the glory of God and then God can still use us in great and magnificent ways. <clears throat> Thank you. And we can all stand. And let's see here. How about living for Jesus? Just got to find.